Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Sitting in the office today. It's nice to be in the office. Nice to slowly start to get back to work. Yay. Mr. Doug Ford jumped on the TV yesterday. Was it yesterday? It yeah. was yesterday, yeah. today's Tuesday. He jumped on the TV yesterday and said, hey, Toronto, you guys are ready. You can start to get into phase two on Wednesday. Wednesday. So it's Woo-hoo. nice to uh, be included in the rest of the province. <laughs> And sorry, yeah. Windsor. Oh, yeah, poor Windsor. I don't, yeah, I don't Windsor. know what the fuck you guys do in Windsor that you're still in phase two. But... Stop licking people. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Is that what it is? Oh, wait, Gaia, where are you, where are you from? Because you're a, you're a 509 area. Okay, so you're not Windsor. You're good. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm in Waterloo. We've had phase two for a while. Oh, we Jeez, just, we're not even there yet. We're there tomorrow. Do you think that, I feel, I feel like that was almost like a, Doug Ford's got to do something like that just so he he appears that he's not showing favoritism to Toronto. That just that just hit me right now. Hmm. Hmm. You know what the other thing though that my the center of the universe, Toronto. Yeah, we are the center of the universe, yeah, yeah. but. Um, of course, Torontonians. Right? We're the, yeah, we're the worst. I yeah, know. What's a 519 area? <laughs> what the fuck is that? Every so often, Mark and I talk about moving to London or Windsor. We've even talked about the KW. And yeah. as it gets more and more real, like we'll find a home that we really like and we get excited for, I don't know, 45 seconds. And I'm like, but Toronto. <laughs> and then we go nowhere. <laughs> Because you just like saying you're from Toronto. I know, I'm, I'm such sure. a snob. I wouldn't mind going to Windsor, to be honest with you, just because I love to do Florida road trips. And if that puts me fucking three hours closer to my destination, then yeah. I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I got no problem with that. But you know what? Other than that, I don't know, man. I like Windsor a little bit, sort of. I don't know. It's so cheap living there. It's so cheap. It's fucking we, disgusting. We are actually... Like kicking ourselves when we look at these homes that we can. Kicking ourselves. Well, I mean, we look at what the value of our condo is right now, and we look at if we were just to sell the condo and buy a home in Windsor for the same value, we get like three times the square footage. Like a mansion. Yeah, it's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) With like in-ground pool, exactly (laughs) the outdoor space alone. Oh my god! But then you'd have to live in Windsor. Uh, No, I shouldn't say that. You shouldn't say that. We have listeners from Windsor. Hey, I like Windsor. I love doing courses in Windsor. All right. Before maybe, we get maybe, too far. Maybe if they get into phase two quick enough. Yeah, that, you guys judge. catch up judge. to us. All right, everyone. Hey, it's Amanda. And we have an interesting episode today. Uh, we've got Gaia on the phone, who is a holistic sexual wellness specialist. So a little bit outside of the realm of what RMTs deal with. And for obvious reasons, like we've talked about on other episodes where we've had people on talking about um, more sexual things. You know, we had Dana. Mm-hmm. On. Well, I, I didn't know how to phrase that. Sexual, <laughs> I don't know. But we well, had we had Dana talking on about? talking about the I kink world and BDSM. You do say dick a lot, and it's unfortunate. <laughs> On this podcast, that's pretty sexual, sort of. I don't know. Well, I mean, when we're talking about sexual topics, oh, gotcha. Is, just not random it's, words. No, it's outside of it's either. outside of the realm of what uh, RMTs typically typically deal with because our profession is already sort of linked with the sex trade. You know, there's people who still yeah. don't understand that massage therapists are not, you know, the people who are going to provide the happy endings. Ending, that yeah. we're not, you know, we're not, well, you know, we're not body not rub true. places. Well, okay. Majority of registered massage therapists, we're here. I think you get in trouble if you do a happy ending. I'm pretty sure. But I'm also pretty sure I've seen on the college website on their 
disciplines. Like I've I've read someone who was doing like neuro fucking. Is that how you say it? Neuro, neuro, neuro. I don't know. Neuro. Yeah, neuro. is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah she she got dinged for that, and then she, I think she moved out to Alberta or something. I don't know what that is. It's naked shit, man. Oh. Get all get all greased up. And, yeah, and you slide your body. Yeah, it's like body, like body sliding. Oh, body slides. slides. Okay. I think it's typically done like on the floor, maybe uh, on a blow up mattress. I don't know. Well, I've seen way too many fucking adult films. I think yeah, that probably. just came, <laughs> that just came out right now. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's not kidding. You're this not is, kidding. This is why last night he said to me, he's like, you know, I'd be interested to go get a Lomi Lomi massage. I'm like, okay, you and I have to find a place together because knowing you, you're going to walk into a place thinking you're getting a Lomi Lomi massage and there's going to be somebody sliding her naked body all over you. I'll so let's, like, let's Lomi, research Lomi? this no, together. <laughs> anyway, back to Gaia, who is a holistic sexual wellness specialist. And she was referred to us by Dana, whom if you haven't heard this episode yet, uh, Dana is uh, the, what is it, badass business performance specialist. She was a yeah. former massage therapist and also was involved in the kink world as a dominatrix. And, you know, we you know what I we had know? a really interesting conversation with her. I want to know why is the term kink? Like, I want to know where that came from. Maybe Gaia knows. Yeah, I don't know. I want to know. Um, well, because it's, it's just an easier is easier to describe than, you know, BDSM and all the fetishes and all the things that go into Just that. throw it all together kink. It's yeah. all lumped in is I, I feel like it's like the the stuff you're not gonna learn in school in sex ed. There anything else, anything other any other sexual topics that you're ex- not gonna learn at extreme, school there. That's the How kink extreme world. does kink have to be? Oh see this is the thing is that anything outside of vanilla sex. So vanilla exactly. sex is like doing it missionary with the lights on. So, you know? so, so pretty is, much anything outside of that, somebody could see that as kinky. So, so you like can go, a threesome is is kink. A For threesome sure. could be sit. It could be kink. Huh. Swinging from the chandeliers could be kink. Blindfolding huh. and feeding each other some food could be kinky. Like it's all about kink. Is all about your perspective. Mm, interesting. Right. So what's kinky to you is probably not kinky to me, <laughs> or vice versa. Right. Well, so yeah. Probably there's probably not much you haven't dealt with because um, I did do some reading this morning, as I said, to learn a little bit about you. But I'm going to let you really introduce yourself. But I know, as I said, that you're a holistic sexual wellness specialist. You've got a website, succulentliving.com. And I just pulled some things off your website of some of the the things you deal with. So you do life coaching, trauma recovery, uh, tantra training, sex coaching. And you're also a podcast host, My Orgasmic Life. That mm-hmm. sounds interesting. So mm-hmm. before we dive <laughs> into this conversation as i mentioned to you off mic claire danes has nothing to do with that i assume my orgasm oh, <laughs> you're such a loser oh my god what are you talking about? <laughs> so many people are gonna be like what the hell does claire danes have to do with that yeah especially the young people are gonna be like what are you talking There's about a tv show called my so-called life go look it up yes young, young kids young kids well um as i mentioned to gaia off mic i thought this was an interesting conversation because yes massage therapists don't ever deal with sexual wellness but being that we are in this health and wellness realm, why isn't sexual wellness a part of our knowledge base at least? So Gaia is going to teach us a little bit today. Before we get into the conversation though, can you actually properly introduce yourself and you know what you do and a little bit uh, for people yeah. to understand who we're talking to today? So I believe the keys to a happy, healthy, wealthy, epic and more a magical life is sexual wellness, letting go of fear, shame, guilt, and self-loathing. And I do this through coaching, teaching, training, facilitation, 
uh, courses, all sorts of awesome ways in which we can lean into that. Okay, very cool. How long have you been involved in this type of career? Because, you know, I made a joke to you before we started recording where I said, who knew that a holistic sexual wellness coach was a career path option when you were in school? <laughs> like, how does this, how does one get into this? So everybody always asks me this question. And so it was more of destiny chose me than me choosing this career. Like when I was a little girl, I wasn't like, when I grow up, I'm going to be like the sex girl. <laughs> that was not, that was not on my wheelhouse at all. But everybody's always felt incredibly safe and comfortable with me to talk about not only their sexual issues and sexuality, but also their trauma based stuff. And so what ended up happening is when I was about 14, 15 years old, my mom took me to this women's gathering and I thought, wow, these women are really weird. You know, the feminist women. I'm like, why did you, where are the boys? Like, why did you even bother bringing me here? So I was hiding out in the basement. And as I'm hiding out in the basement, this woman in her late 60s, early 70s, she comes into the room and she blurts out, I've never had an orgasm. And I re- and I'd already experienced orgasm at that point in my life. And I was like, I remember feeling like that was the saddest thing I'd ever heard in my life. And I went over and I gave her a big hug and she was crying and she's like, it's too late. And I'm like, it's never too late. At 14, I, at you 14, were mature yeah. enough because yeah. I can tell you at 14 and maybe it, you know, speaks to my prudeness, but I can tell you at 14, if a 60 or 70 year old woman blurted out to me, I have never had an orgasm, I would turn bright red and find an excuse to leave the room. So that in itself is impressive that you were mature enough to realize like, yeah, that's not okay. And go give her a hug. I think I would have just been embarrassed and walked away. Yeah. And that was the thing. That was like the moment that I answered my call. I didn't realize that was what was happening, but that was the moment. And, and I proceeded to teach her that she could masturbate orgasm. Then after that, everybody talked to me about sex. I can go anywhere. My friends started giving out my phone number to random people. I'd be standing at the bus stop. Some dude would start talking about his penis problems, get into a cab. Cab driver would start talking to me about his relationship issues. I couldn't go anywhere without people talking to me about sex. And so basically, you know, fast forward, you know, from there until about, you know, until I'm in my mid-20s. Um, I switched careers from doing being a pottery and drumming teaching studio to stepping into this world full time. And you now should, I have you should see cards. mine and Mark's face right now. We're like, <laughs> like I'm sure you know, there's a lot of aspects to that timeline that like make it make sense. But we're like, how? Like for example, again, you get into a cab and they start talking to you about a relationship, or you're standing in the grocery store. Like I. I understand it to a point because I think there's just some people that have this energy. And I've said this about you, Mark, millions of times. Mark constantly has females, I mean, my friends included, who are completely comfortable to go to him with problems. You know, I remember one of my friends years ago, just randomly opening up to him. She had never said this to me, randomly blurting out to him that her and her partner hadn't had sex in three months. Like, Mm -hmm. why, you know, I, I couldn't understand why did you feel comfortable just blurting that out to my husband? And, you know, we have never talked about that. Or, you know, I've never heard you talk about that with your other friends. I think there's just maybe some people who give off this energy that like, yeah, you can say anything to me. Yeah, apparently I'm one of those people. So now, at least now I have boundaries and a business card. (laughs) So 
know what I'm trying to. I'm trying to have dinner. I'm like, hey, why don't you call me for a a session? How does it go, though, from like people just confiding in you and asking you stuff? Like, for example, I build motorcycles, right? So I always have bikes around me. And so I always have people asking me about bike stuff like all the fucking time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't occur to me like, let me go drop everything that I'm doing and suddenly open up a bike shop. Do you know what I mean? And now become this motorcycle guy. It doesn't occur to you. I'm pretty sure I've heard you say that multiple times. You know what I mean, though? Okay, fine. (laughs) It doesn't occur to me to make it something real and and say like, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to go do this now. Like, how does that flip for you? Or did you just fucking hate what you were doing before so bad that you're like, okay, well, this seems to be what I'm attracted to or is being attracted to me and therefore I'm just going to go for it, especially because I fucking don't really like what I'm doing. Because the only way I can see myself doing anything with motorcycles like that ever is if I really fucking hated what I was doing here. And Yeah, but I loved... I loved my job. Like I had like the best job. I was like, I taught pottery and drumming all day long. I got dirty. I got to hit things. So do you still sound so fun? Do you still do that stuff now? I still do that stuff as a hobby, but I don't do, but I don't do that stuff for for great. Okay. 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 I'm just curious. So like I loved what I did, but people just kept calling me. Let me ask you a question. (laughs) When some, give me the scenario about some dude at a bus shelter is starting to tell you about his dick problems. Like, how does that work? Like, why does that happen? And how does that work? In other words, is this, is this, is this some dude is just looking at you and like, "Mm, you know what? I'm going to go down this route here because I want to have a conversation with this broad. Ooh, sorry. You know what I mean? With this chick. Ooh, that's even worse. I can't figure it out. I'm going to have a conversation with this person here because I want to, I want to get in that a little bit. Is that how no, these things come no, about all the time? Okay, no, give it, give, give it to me. Because like the like the likelihood of me having hooking up with some dude after he told me that he couldn't get an erection, it's not that's not very sexy, right? So yeah, it's not what you say to someone that you I don't want know. To hook up with. Fuck, maybe yeah. someone else in the kink world <laughs> loves the idea of the challenge. I have no fucking clue. <laughs> so no, no, it just seems to be, and it is. It's a very random. People never say hello. Like they, there's no like we're not having a conversation. It always happens where I'm like, I'm not even talking to them. I've not made eye contact. All of a sudden, they just blurt out random shit that's usually sex related. It's bizarre. It's so. But like, I feel you like you see our face. Like we're both like something. What? I, I cannot imagine someone there's just blurting more. out sex stuff to me. Exactly. Like is is it is it the way you is it the way you dress? Is it is it like a button that says talk to me about your dick? Like I don't. I don't <laughs> like, no. What is it? What, no. what is it? But that? then it's. It, it, I'm going to say it's about my energy because if I'm out in nature, animals hump around me too. Like it's just part of who I am. I just carry this like sex energy around me all the time that people feel safe and they just want to talk or hmm, you know talk about it. Okay. Well, like I said for you, Mark, I've said this to you multiple times because in the early phases of our relationship, honestly, it used to bother me. I'm like, why the fuck does every woman <laughs> feel like you are the person to call when they're having sex problems? I'm like, this is straight. But like you said, it's not like they were trying to hook up with him because they would tell him really embarrassing shit. Women have told him, you know, like, you know, I found out that uh, so-and-so that I hooked up with has, you know, whatever it was like HPV or this or that, you know, now I'm scared. Like they would call him with really personal stuff. And I was like, that's bizarre that these Mm -hmm. women are so, but I think it's just your energy. People felt so comfortable telling you the most personal things. I'll tell you why. It's because I, I'm Mm non-threatening. There's, there's not, there's not a threatening thing about me. 
here. You know, I, I I don't want anything from you. I'm not trying to take anything from you. I'm there's no ulterior motives. There's no nothing. So it's mm-hmm. it's very just kind of neutral, yeah. non-judging. So how can you can, how can you not picture somebody just randomly? Well, I mean, but, the, to but tell you're me. describing people that we that know people that and you know. know yes. me. it's not like so, I it's not like I go to a bar and suddenly I have some 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 woman that, coming uh, coming out to me. That's also not a hundred percent true. Maybe not just randomly saying, "Hey, out I can't about, I can't deep throw it. Can you tell me how to do it?" Like it doesn't work. <laughs> no, okay, maybe not that far. I get the shaft and the balls in my mouth. I don't know. I've definitely been out with you in public. And people do say things to you that are highly personal. I remember one Valentine's Day. This was probably 12 years ago, 11, 12 years ago. took off? The one that I took off, yeah. So (laughs) that sounds bad. But um, one of my- I'm the only guy at the bar on Valentine's Day. Did we get some drama? No, no, no. Not between us. A friend of mine got dumped on Valentine's Day by her long-term partner. So she was- disaster. Like, I honestly, I didn't know what to do. I got the call in the morning or whatever morning, early afternoon that he left her and it, yeah, on Valentine's thanks, Day. Thanks, bro. You screwed up my Valentine's right? Day. <laughs> so it was actually, it would have been probably 12 years ago then because I think it was our first Valentine's Day together. Um, and I looked at Mark like I, I, like, I don't even know what to say to her. And he's like, I think you should go see her. So I went to go see her expecting that I'd be back in a few hours and him and I could spend Valentine's Day together. Well, I ended up consoling this person all day because yep. she was just a disaster and I kept you know checking in with Mark I'd call him I'd text him he's like no I'm okay I'm okay and so at some point he decided I'm gonna go grab a beer so we lived across the street from a pub which was very convenient so he went across the street to the pub and he kept texting me saying like you know what's going on are you okay are you coming so I ended up meeting him at the pub at probably like 9 p.m. And he had probably been there since late afternoon. So he's been there a few hours. I get there and everybody literally cheered for me when I came in and some girl came up to me and hugged me and she's like, I'm so glad you're real. He made friends with everybody at the bar. Everybody (laughs) knew him. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I I get it. Well, they all felt probably really sad for me. Well, yeah, they <laughs> thought I, I was sit, fake. As I sit around <laughs> talking about, I swear, my girlfriend, she's coming to meet me here, I swear. And then it turns into like, oh, do you want to hang out then until she gets here? I'm like, sure, if you don't, if you want to, that's cool. Yeah, this this woman just comes up to me and hugs me. Is she wearing me. my hat? She's probably yeah, wearing Yeah, she was hat. wearing your hat. She's like, I'm so glad you're real. I'm like, me too? <laughs> Thank you. Mm. Anyway, so, so yeah, people so just start telling that, you random shit. Cool. It, yeah, and I think it's, you know, the other piece that, you, you know, what you were talking about, Mark, around that whole, you know, being non-threatening. I think for me, it's about me being non-judgmental. Like, mm-hmm. I just have this real air about me of like, not whatever floats your boat like there is no judgment you know my only question is does it serve you or not serve you and that's it and i really move from that place in all things that i do what if it doesn't serve them how does that translate for you so what that means is that okay well why is that not serving them right are they are they doing harm to themselves or others so do you do you automatically go into coaching mode when you feel like yeah yeah because there's there's that piece because i'm not a coach i'm not i don't don't care to be a coach so if someone says something to me and i'm like okay well i don't judge that and i think "Mm, is this serving you or not serving you well and i come to the conclusion that it's not based on the information they're giving me then it doesn't matter to me at that point i'm still in this kind of very neutral territory because I'm not a coach, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, I get it. So let me ask you then, once you realize that this was kind of your destiny, you know, this is where the universe was telling you you need to go, um, did you then 
seek out training or coaching yourself? Or did you just sort of dive in, start your your work? And then like, how does it how do you get how do you get educated I, to I, become this type of I feel like you were already you already kind of put into it. I mean, if you're if your mother is taking you to a house with a bunch of ladies, and you got some 60 year old lady coming in <laughs> saying like, I've never had an orgasm in my life. Like you were already kind of, you know, introduced to all of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm making so I would, up. No, no, but it's true. Like I grew up in a household where everything was about personal growth and and development and therapy and being taken to you know sweat lodges and taken to all sorts of different therapeutic modalities and so I grew up in that world and and then I went to school to actually work with abused women and children so I have a educational background from a psychological standpoint mm-hmm. um, so that was basically you know the basics basis of my my training um and that i've spent my whole life healing my own shit and healing my own trauma and so because i grew up with all of these you know healing modalities plus i started my own healing journey when i was 17 years old of healing my own sexual abuse and satanic ritual abuse that i endured as a child that my whole life has been about healing both personally and professionally and people around me so are you cool to talk about that uh about what part yeah sure go ahead i'm gonna about about as long as we don't go into too many details i won't go into too many details around the cult related stuff but other places yeah go ahead (laughs) Hmm. that's my hard line my hard limit (laughs) can you maybe if you're if you're comfortable just tell us what this what this means like what does that mean uh satanic ritual yeah yeah maybe just tell Um, us what it means and that and that and that's oh so it basically is a you know a satanic cult um, you know, that practice satanic rituals and there's a lot of trauma and a lot of abuse and a lot of really crappy, awful stuff in it. Mm. But okay. so if you think, if you, so if you think about, you know, if you look at movies, like there's secret community or like secret movies that have like, you know, these cults and there's like all secret societies. Of, and like, stuff like so, that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's based, in their rituals, based okay. on that and their rituals. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Okay. Everybody breathe. Cause that was kind of heavy. <laughs> All the listeners breathe. <laughs> so when you're 17, you said that's when you started your own healing. Yeah. It was there, was there like a moment that you just realized like, I, you know, I have all of this trauma that I'm holding on to. I need to do something with it. Did somebody else recognize it in you? Like, it sounds like your parents were very, um, very cool people. Like, you know, they were open to all, you know, therapy and stuff. It's, I feel like when I was growing up, and maybe it's again just the the family that I grew up with. We never really talked about like mental health and things like no, that. Your family or, doesn't it, talk about that. You stuff. don't. You don't. Yeah, we didn't talk about any of that. So it was never like I don't feel like my mother would have ever approached me like you know. Do you want to speak to a counselor? Do you want to go to therapy? Like that was never a discussion. Obviously, in your household, things were different that way. Um, so was it somebody who you know pushed you to? to go seek some help or did you just realize like I've got a lot of shit that I need to deal with and you started doing the work yourself? Well, it's kind of twofold. So during that period of time, I didn't have any memories of my trauma. So I was during like between the age of 14 to like 17, I was doing a lot of acting out and, you know, getting into the wrong crowd and I was incredibly suicidal and there was like all this stuff that was happening for me at that time. Drugs too? Oh, lots of drugs, Mm. lots of drugs, right? Lots of partying, lots of drugs, anything to numb out 
how I was feeling, but I didn't know why any of like, I didn't know why I felt that way because I had no actual memories of my trauma yet. When I was 17, that's when it hit. My memory started to surface. They came back. And when they came back, they came back a flooding. And so at that point, it was like, okay, I needed to go start this process of healing with the, with the fuck. What the fuck is basically the best way of putting it, you know? And so I started that journey, very consciously started that journey because otherwise I wasn't going to survive. You know, it was basically, it was like either I heal this shit or it's going to kill me. Do you tell anyone about this? Like, do you, yeah. are you, are you, are you open with family, friends about, you know what, I've got some stuff going on and I need to get this taken care of? Or is this like kind of just all you, internal internalizing everything and then seeking out help on your own oh when i was 17 yeah. is that what we're talking about when yeah, i'm yeah. 17 um when i'm 17 i'm surrounded by really messed up people right so like i've i've you know i'm partying i'm hanging out with everybody else who also has trauma i mean right. looking back on it right like they're all fucked up they're all suicidal they're all doing shit that is basically a you know slow death wish right mm-hmm. so at that age it's not like you have you have any outlets that are not self-destructive no no okay. not at that not at that point gotcha. right um and i basically i stopped doing drugs i start doing healing. Um, I start telling the people around me what's going on. I lose a lot of friends. Uh, you know, my boyfriend at the time, you know, he's you know trying to process what's going on. How hard is this stopping of the drugs? Because I've had someone on the podcast before and he's like, he's a recover. He's well, he's always recovering according to him. Right. He's uh, when he came on the podcast, what did I say? He was like eight to 12 years clean mm-hmm. sober, uh, recovering, because I'll use that term because that's I think yeah. how he referred to it recovering crack addict recovering alcoholic and he went in and out of rehab highs lows and he got to one point where he was like I'm doing crack in the basement of this house and this he this way he said it. he's like I was doing with this dude I don't even know his name he, to me he looked like Captain Caveman and like this fl- there was no floor I'm like I'm standing in the dirt of someone's fucking basement and i'm like this is this is a fucking low point in my life here were you ever that deep into like the drugs and stuff and if no, you were okay. no 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 and from and there's another reason behind that so <laughs> who knew i was going to divulge all of my deep dark secrets to you too um <laughs> it's mark's energy gaia there you, you see? go see this is why random people tell you shit um <laughs> so when uh, my biological father, he killed himself when I was three and he was a drug addict, like mm. a hardcore mm. Coke drug addict. And so growing up, I heard lots of stories about, you know, him being, a, you know, an addict and all the horrible things he did as an addict and blah, blah, blah. So I kind of had in the background, like, you don't want to go down that road. Right? right. So I was like, so like I never got into the heavy drugs because I was like, oh, that doesn't sound like a good plan. Mm-hmm. And. I quit because of two things. One, I took a horrible acid trip. This was just before I started having my memories of my trauma. Mm -hmm. So I was on this awful acid trip, not realizing I was getting flashbacks of memories. I just thought that was just demonic stuff. And I had no idea what, what, what was happening. And so it was like 12 hours of living hell, right? Oh my God. And then I was like, fuck that shit that's never happening again <laughs> like, 
couldn't believe I survived. I didn't want to survive, actually. I remember thinking, just kill me. Just make this end. Just make this end. Were you by yourself or were you with other people when that happened? I was with I was with a friend who had never done acid. I convinced her to do it with me because I'm like, oh, that's so much fun. Like I'd done it before, right? It's right. like, it's so much fun. And then this thing happened, right? Needless to say, we, you know, we, I lost that friendship. But anyway, so. <laughs> for me, it's so trippy to watch because I can't, like, I'm not, I, like, what? I Mark's smoke never weed. done any I'm, hard like, drugs, Because I'm not, I'm not a hard drug guy. Like, I don't want yeah. to completely alter my consciousness. I don't want to hallucinate. I'm scared to shit to, like, hallucinate and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So I would never do something like that. So, but then I was watching, what's that Gwyneth Paltrow show that's on? Goop. Yeah, I was watching how she had her whole team do, like, was it, uh, mushrooms or ayahuasca or something, right? Okay. Right? Yep, in a yep. very controlled environment. And it was really trippy for me to watch because I always go to, you know, the shit that goes on in your head, right? I can't mm-hmm. imagine what it looks like physically from the outside. And so when I'm watching someone that's tripping out and I'm looking at them physically on the outside and they're like physically okay. They have someone there that's coaching them through it, right? But in yep. their mind, they're going all over the place. And so I've never really thought of the idea of looking at it from an external point. I don't know where I, I don't know where I, where I even come up that way because <laughs> <laughs> i just watched your eyeballs like bulge out of your head as she was talking about her experience because i know that's something right. that has always really freaked you out the thought of not being in control of your own mind that he, mark won't even go into a float tank we yeah. did an episode about floating because i tried <laughs> i tried a float tank the first time and he said i believe there's parts of my mind that are never meant to be opened up like that and he won't go yeah so anyway so, okay so back to how i quit drugs <laughs> my drugs were not serving me well at that point um, the second piece is my mother walked by me one day while I was high on pot and she just looked, she didn't give me shit. She just looked at me and she was like, you're going to end up like your father. Oh. And I was like, Ooh, I remember being high, totally harsh. My mellow. I was like, my aunt, my dad died. That doesn't sound like a good outcome. So between those two moments, that was enough for me to be like, okay, I'm done. And I looked around me and all the people around me and the lives that they had lived and what they basically how they were living. And I'm like, you know, I have so much more potential in my life that I want to have. And I stopped. I just stopped. Well, I mean, yeah, when too. enough is enough, you yeah. I think you know it. And for anybody to anyone to quit anything, well, yeah. you know you have to be at that point where you're like, I like she well, said, it's not serving I me. Think I'm you done. can either go one one of two ways. Either you're like, I'm done, or fuck it, I'm going gangbusters. Like yeah, I'm going like, all I'm already in. here. Let's do yeah. this. Yeah. And then it, I think it also helped that I also started my healing journey because the real root of why I was doing all of the drugs in the first place was to escape. Right. And once I started to work on myself and started doing my healing healing, I didn't need to escape anymore. Like there wasn't anything I was running away from anymore. So the drugs then didn't, there was no purpose for me to be getting numb, numbing out anymore because it was like, I'm okay. I'm being okay with who I am and I'm becoming okay with who I am every day. So suicide attempts. Oh yeah. There was lots of them between the age of 14 to like 17 before I started the, before the memories came to the surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was highly suicidal, highly suicidal and did a couple of attempts. Can I ask you a question about that? You don't have to answer anything if you don't want to. Go for it. When, when, (laughs) what else can I not share? (laughs) (laughs) When we haven't even got into anything about my job, but Uh, go ahead. Not yet. (laughs) When you're attempting, what is the, I know what, I know what the end game is, but I, I, I'm curious as to what the thought, the, what the thought is. Is the thought just like, I'm just in so much pain. I just don't want to be in pain anymore. And this is the only way that I know to make it stop. 
or is it that I can finally be at peace and rest? Because if I think about someone that is thinking that they can finally be at peace and rest, then I assume that they believe that there's some sort of afterlife in that, okay, I'm now at a place where I can just be good versus there is no afterlife and I'm just going lights out, you know, fade to black. I think it all depends on the person, right? So like for it, you. For, for me, it was more of, I just wanted it to end. I wanted it to, I just, it so was So you were looking pain. for fade to black. I, yeah, I was looking for fade to black because I was raised Catholic. So at the end of the day, you know, at that point, like, you know, you're going to hell basically mm. if you commit suicide. So right. there was no like, oh, you get to go to heaven. Um, so it was really about, for me, it was really about this. I wanted this pain to end because I didn't understand. Because like I said, I had no memories, right? So right. I had no idea why I was in so much pain, why I was terrified all the time why I hated myself. I had no idea why, because externally, my life looked pretty good. I was popular. I was beautiful. I always had a boyfriend. My family was pretty good. Like externally, I was, you know, I was, you know, you know, sports. I was like all all of those things. So it didn't make any sense why I felt Mm -hmm. the way that I felt inside. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted that to Stop. Sorry if, I, if I'm sounding insensitive. The only, and the only reason I feel you're okay to talk about this stuff is because you sound like you're in great spirits now. Like you sound like you're in a really good place in life, and you're and you're happy as shit, right? Oh you, yeah. Well, you, and then that's why. I mean, we can talk about this because yeah. I, and that's just why I teach what I teach, and this is why I do what I do. Are you ever trauma? Are you ever worried that you'll get back to that place ever, or that is completely never. rearview mirror for you? Completely uh, never. It's not even remotely. Yeah, never would that happen again. Cool. I'm glad that Mark um, poked and prodded and got all this information out of you because now it just it it made everything just make so much sense. Not that you, not that it wasn't making sense before, <laughs> but you know, like when you were saying, you know, people would just come and talk well, to me. This the and energy, then, the non-judgmental. But, but yeah, it's, it's everything combined together. You know that you yourself had experienced trauma, and you know you didn't even realize you had when you know you were going through this, and then going through your own healing journey, and you have the education in. Uh, psychological trauma. And then, you know, I guess the universe just brought this all to you as like, now you can help other people on a healing journey. And that's where I guess your your business came from, succulentliving.com. Let's talk about mm-hmm. this. Let's talk about all of the different types of services you offer, what your clientele is like. Give us some information about that. So I have my private practice where I see one-on-one clients and that varies into like different categories. So there's the trauma aspect of the work that I do, um, where people have had, you know, severe trauma that's affecting, you know, that's anchored into their body. Um, It's affecting their ability to connect and have intimacy, orgasms, relationships, sex, all of those pieces. Um, So that's one area that I work in. The other areas that I work in is the sexual skill building, right? So people are like, hey, we just want to learn how to have better sex. (laughs) So then they come see me. Um, And then there's the people who are like, okay, they're knowledge seekers, like they're on this, 
seeking of knowledge of making and personal growth and development. And so they'll come work with me around, you know, sacred sexual practices and Tantra and, you know, looking at, you know, because I look at human sexuality in a holistic approach. So there's mind, body and spirit. And in the center is who we are as a sexual being and who we are as a sexual being affects our mind, body and spirit. And so they'll also come and work with me and we'll, you know, drop into the areas that they, you know, are missing or need to, you know, kind of just explore. Yeah. So that's what I do on a private practice level. And then I do a lot of, I have a lot of courses. I think I got like 14 at the moment, 14 online courses, guided and self-study courses in all different areas of relationships and sex and sexuality and sexual skill building. And, um, and then I just developed, a you know, a practitioner's uh, training recovery uh, trauma training um, for practitioners level one. So yeah, that's basically in a nutshell of what I do <laughs> in the world. I make the world a happier, sexier, safer space for us all. I also like your uh, sign off on your email. What is, uh, have a happy bum or sexual or sensual bum sensual wiggling bum day. wiggling day. <laughs> yes, I like that. Do you ever have couples come to you? Like you said, you know, you work on um, like sexual skill building. So people who just want to have better sex. Do you ever have a couple come to you where maybe one partner set it up and are, you know, super into it and the other one is very closed off, like sort of embarrassed, you know, the way I described that I would be if I, you know, was approached by a six-year-old woman. Like how do you, how do you get someone to be comfortable and open up? Like paint a picture for me because like I said to you before, I describe myself as a prude. And although my (laughs) listeners may not think so because I've got a potty mouth, but I'd say like, I'm probably more closed off. I don't just openly talk to anybody about sexual topics ever. Like I'm, I, I I know in my house we were, that was never that. No, Mm -hmm. we never talked about that. We would be sitting watching a movie and if there was a sex scene, I'd find an excuse to like go to the bathroom or go to the kitchen and get a snack. So if you had somebody who's like me or worse, how do you get them to open up and feel comfortable to actually get anywhere with them? Well, that's the easy part of my job because of who I am. So because of who I am, I just create this really safe space and, you know, I ask some questions and we talk about, instead of being blatantly about sex, we would talk more about pleasure and getting comfortable with pleasure and pleasure in life and how does pleasure work for you. And, you know, we would talk, we, you know, we do baby steps, right? It's all about the baby steps until somebody's like at that place where, okay, there's trust established, there's safety established, and there's no judgment in the experience. And then people just develop. Like they just then lean in. Once that, once they feel that, they just lean in. What do you think the reason is for people who are that way, you know, who are very, you know, only only ever exposed to, what did you call it? Vanilla sex? Vanilla, yeah. Uh, people like that. I, I mean, I assume there's a multitude of reasons. But in your experience in working with people and helping people to become sexually healthy and be comfortable with you, what do you find is some of the main reasons why people are so closed off and do experience guilt or shame or, you know, are, are afraid to talk about these sorts of things, even with their own partner? Well, I'd say first first and foremost is trauma. That's the first one, right? Um, trauma and sexual interference. So trauma being like overt um, sexual abuse versus, um, you know, something as simple as, you know, walking in on your parents while they're doing it and no one sitting down to talk to you about what that was. That can be a sexual interference that um, prevents you from sexual evolution and development and shame, shame 
And then there's the other part, which is the societal external stories that we're told, the shame that we're told that that's bad, that's wrong, that's dirty. You're not allowed to do that. Or we see, you know, somebody who is, say, sexually liberated and we watch the people around us, our peers, our adults, you know, call her a whore or a slut or, you know, these kinds of things. What that does is it imprints in us that being a sexual being is not a safe thing for us to be. Mm -hmm. Do you find it affects women more than men then? Just based on what you're saying, I'm imagining more women have either experienced trauma or have this sort of shame surrounding their own sexuality. Uh, no, actually, it's pretty equal. Um, it just It just manifests in different ways. So typically, women will go more into, you know, I hate to use this word, but, you know, just for everybody's understanding that frigid sort of pull away, prudish, don't want to talk about it, that kind of pull away sexually, mm -hmm. where men will go the typically, you know, and again, this is generalization, right? But typically will go into more self-destructive behaviors around sexuality because of the trauma, because of the, ch the shame, because of the external stuff. And so, you know, porn addictions and, and inability to connect and inability to have intimacy, which then in turn will also show up in like erectile dysfunction and you know, ejaculation issues and these kinds of things. So it, it presents itself different, but the sources are still the same. So I understand your title, Holistic Sexual Wellness. Uh, you know, I understand that all of these things are connected, mind, body, spirit, being that I'm a massage therapist. I mean, this all makes sense to me. For mm -hmm. people who are maybe trying to connect dots, if somebody has some sort of, uh, I don't know, buried trauma or something surrounding their sexuality, what sorts of negative impacts, again, we're generalizing here, but what sorts of negative impacts could possibly emerge from this in other aspects of their life? Or like what positives have you seen coming out of working with people and helping them to, to break through some of these barriers or traumas or whatever it is? Okay. So, you know, as massage therapists, you see people and you can see, you know, what happens in their body, right? Emotional stuff mm -hmm. anchors into their body. Um, so things like not being able to be touched, um, that's a, a big one, um, which then, of course, is going to affect their ability to connect on a partnership and a sexual level. Mm -hmm. um, you know, communication is another one being able, you know, when you carry all the shame around, you know, pleasure and sexuality and your desires, then what ends up happening is that you, you're too afraid to ask, to talk, to communicate. And so what I've, one of the huge benefits that I see from clients coming to see me is that the byproduct of them being able to figure out who they are, what they want, coming to the place of self-acceptance and self-love, then in turn, their ability to connect and have intimacy on different, not just sexual intimacy, but all sorts of different levels of intimacy with their people around them, as well as communication improves mm -hmm. their work environment. They ask, they can get, you know, they can ask for a raise. They can set boundaries. Like there's all these beautiful byproducts of, of being able to communicate, right? So those are the big ones that I see. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, there's always like the jokes that go around offices when somebody's like super grumpy or seems like they always have a stick up their ass. Everybody's like whispering like, behind their backs, like to he needs to get laid. Exactly. Maybe to stick up the ass is something enjoyable. Yeah, maybe he needs to stick up his ass. <laughs> actually, exactly. maybe that's his thing, and he feels shame about it. So that's the problem. <laughs> You know? Do the majority of people have a, a healthy sexual attitude? No. This is why I do my job. 
I don't think I don't think our society allows for it. Like she was like yeah. she was alluding to before. It's there's all of these labels that we all know. I mean, the minute you hear the word slut, let's for example, yeah. like we talked about it yeah. with Dana, you hear the word slut. What do you think of, Mark? <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, I don't want to know what you think no, of it. No. It's really weird talking with your wife about this, isn't it? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm just I, kidding. I, I had something completely way off topic and just something stupid. Anyway, the point is in our society, like yes, women who are, I guess, for lack of a better term, I'll say promiscuous or would you say sexually liberated, they're labeled yeah. as sluts, right? And it's yeah. and it's used in such a negative, derogatory way that women typically, like the ones who are a little bit more free and maybe who are not in monogamous relationships and are, you know, doing whatever they fucking feel like doing, they feel like they can't be open about it or they have to hide it because people are going to think things about them. They're going to be judged. And really what they're doing with whomever they're doing doesn't affect, you know, their job performance, but they would feel like, okay, I can't let people at work know that I'm, you know, let's say somebody is into like BDSM or, you know, goes to kink parties or whatever on the weekend. You think they're going to tell their coworkers on Monday morning? I don't know, man. I don't think so. I think that it's just not, it's, it's taboo. That's what well, it and it's culturally we are not we are taught to be sexy, but not want to be sexual and not be sexy. Say that, say that one more time for me. Okay, so we're taught to be sexy, yeah. right? To look sexy, right, right? Right, right? Like sex sells, right? We use it everywhere. It's like you know we want to sell a pack of gum. You know we use yeah, the right, sexy right. girl to do so, right? Beer commercials, but. A, tr- a woman stepping into her own sexual power and identity is not okay. It's terrifying for from a societal standpoint because you can't own it. You can't capture it. You can't, you know, you know, sexually liberated women can't be controlled. <laughs> you, can't, <laughs> you can't own that shit. You can borrow it for a little while, but you can't own it. <laughs> and what about men? Like, where do they fall into this when it comes to the society? You know, like, can men just, I, okay, I'm let me give you a concrete example then. I have a couple that I know and she's pretty open to talking about anything. Like she'll tell me, she'll tell me things. It's funny because even sometimes when she's telling me things, I feel, I feel myself like, oh my God, like you are sharing very, very intimate details with me. So I'm obviously the one with the problem, not her, but she will tell me things about her and her partner. Manda, you need to come hang out with me. I guess so. (laughs) I'm such a prude. Um, But she'll tell me things about her and her partner and she's very open and liberated. And like, in my view, she, you know, she owns her sexuality. She's not embarrassed to talk about things. She doesn't feel shame about things. But she will tell me that he is, the way she words it is like, he's into things that I could never possibly like, I couldn't share with people. Like she goes, I don't think a lot of women would accept the kinds of things that turn him on. So mm-hmm. like he's even sort of too much for her for, you know, just to make it make sense. And so she'll, she'll say to me, you know, sometimes it's hard because, you know, like I'm pretty open-minded and whatever, but some of this stuff, like it's hard for me to get you know, to get past. And so like they struggle in their relationship a little bit because she wants to be open-minded and, you know, accept him the way he is. But like I said, I don't even know what these things are because she won't even tell me. And she's normally very open to telling me these sorts of things. Someone call me, I'll find out. Yeah, you, you probably could. You probably could get it out of her. But I mean, something like that, like this, this guy who's into certain things that, you know, he, he doesn't, 
share openly with a lot of people because I guess there are things that aren't considered quote normal. Um, do you find like a lot of men have these like hidden fetishes or whatever it is like sexual desire and they won't tell anybody because they're embarrassed and you know what is society doing to men in that area? So the difference between men and women is that women we are slut shamed but for men they're pervert shamed. Mm, yeah. And so it's this whole concept of that you know you, there's something wrong with you you're a deviant there's something bad shame dirty that you want that that you desire that now for men spend more time watching porn and they have more exposure to different sexual possibilities than the average woman does right so it's not that women aren't as freaky or as kinky we are the difference is that we don't have the same amount of exposure as men typically have. Well, and I would assume like the same amount of exposure and again, paired with this constant undertone of like, you know, don't do that. No, that's yeah. not nice. That's not ladylike. Don't, you know, don't dress yeah. too slutty. Like all of those, the undertones of that and the fact that, yeah, women probably do spend, I mean, not all women, but a lot of women probably spend less time watching porn than than their partner. Yeah. And so that, that has a lot to do with the sexual development and evolution of possibilities, right? So it's, as women start to embrace, the other thing is, is that women need to feel safe and loved in order to allow their inner slut, as I like to call it, their inner slut out. They need to feel safe. The safer they feel, the more they'll expand and grow and lean into those deeper desires, those darker desires that every human being has. So every every woman has an inner slut? We all do. Yeah. All of us. Okay. If it if it's if it's nurtured, if it's supported, if it's if we move through whatever the seed is there, it all depends on how 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 much that plant is grown. I got it. So when you say they need to feel safe, expand on that. What do you mean feel safe? Like does it have to be with a long term partner? Can it be with, you know, a one night stand? Like what what does feel safe mean? So for each person that would be different. But Mm -hmm. overall, in general, I would say feeling safe. So like we've been taught that you know, you need to be in a stable relationship. If you're in a stable relationship and they love you, then it's safe. If you feel loved, it's more about, I think, if you feel loved, then you can let out your inner slut. If you don't feel loved, then you're going to be judged for letting out your inner slut. So you can't let out your inner slut. Mm -hmm. Um, For men, it's the opposite. It's like a lot of men, once they're in love, they have the Madonna whore complex that ends up happening. So now you're the mother of my children. I can't lust after you. Because they've been programmed, societally, they've been programmed that, you know, you don't lust after and objectify and sexualize somebody that you love. And so it's a very interesting thing that when you get couples who, you know, male, female couples together, you can see how, you know, the woman is finally like, all right, let's get freaky (laughs) because she feels safe and secure and loved and all these things. And the guy's like, whoa, no, we can't do that. That's not okay. And meanwhile, in the beginning of their relationship, he's like, let's get freaky. And she's like, oh, no, I can't do that. Yeah, it's actually really funny. Um, I've had a few female friends who have had children say to me that they (laughs) didn't want their partners to see the delivery. I mean, Mark delivered our children. So he has seen every bit of everything happening because he was actually the one to catch the babies. And Mm. uh, I've had female friends say to me, like, are you crazy? Like, you know, I've heard that when they see that, then they can never look at it as like a sexual thing again, because it's it's a baby. It's a baby maker. And I was like, you know what, we no, we don't have that experience. That was completely fine. And I wanted him to be the one to deliver the babies. I like being able to say like, yep, 
Mark, Mark delivered our children. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did that answer your question about the safety piece? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, even I'm, I'm trying to like relate everything back to me, but also to people I know. And I feel that's definitely, you know, in the beginning of a relationship, even taking myself, I mean, I haven't had a beginning of a relationship in a long time since we met, what, 13 years ago now. So i I haven't had a first date in a long time, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, I know that to be true. Like when you first are sort of with someone as a woman, and even from my own experiences with myself and my friends, when you're first with someone, you don't want to appear to be this like, you know, I guess, slutty type of person. You know, you want to be, you want to seem like, you want to seem like the type of girl that this guy would want to take home to meet his mother. Right. That's what you <laughs> yeah. want to seem like. Right. That's like bullshit. But yes, <laughs> but it, it, it is bullshit. But I think you don't want that. But yes, but it, exactly. yeah, exactly. It's bullshit. But however, that's the, I think that's the way women are feeling when they first start <laughs> dating someone. Your mother. Well, OK, so when we first started dating, you told me your mom had like a laundry list of questions about me. She wanted, you know, and so my, as, as my mother's woman, my mother's rule, though, is don't bring a female home unless you are serious about her. Like, I don't want to meet some flings that you have. I don't want to meet some girl you're just dating. I don't care about that, Mark. As yeah. a matter of fact, like, girls, or girls, most women, actually, you can't just date them the way I was dating them. My mother brought that to my attention in my, what, 30s? <laughs> like, most women just want to progress in life. And that part of that is couple pairing. And you can't just date someone and do whatever you want with them. And then, you know, that's, that's good enough. I was like, oh, wow, I never really thought of it like that. So my mother was a little different that way. It's not like no one's coming home to my mom unless there's a ring on her finger. Right. But I mean, the point no, is no, me being the, you know, the new girlfriend at the time, I'm thinking, you know, I have to seem like wife material, right? You know, we're getting into this relationship, things are getting serious. So yeah, I'm not thinking like, let's get kinky and freaky in the bedroom. I'm thinking I want to show you that I'm wife material. I mean, I'm trying to remember what I was thinking 13 oh, years ago. Yeah. But then yeah, I think for men in the beginning, it's like, there's this hot new girl that I'm seeing and, you know, they can't keep their hands off each other. And it's it's totally different than, you know, once you're living together or then married or then have children, then I think the dynamic does change. I feel like mm-hmm. uh, and for, with a lot of couples, like I said, even the ones I know, I feel like there's a role reversal where yeah. I've, I know I've had girlfriends call me and say like, you know, we haven't had sex in three weeks and it's not for lack of me trying. It's like he's not interested. So I feel yeah. like that does happen where then it becomes like, the guy who's you know sort of toned down the this I don't know what to call it, but he's he's calmed down, and the woman is like, "Hello, I'm still here. I'm still a woman, not just a baby maker." Yeah, well, and now she's actually feels safe enough to actually explore that, mm-hmm. you know, because she's now it's now stable for her, so she can now let out her inner freak. <laughs> and he's like, whoa, no, I can't do that. <laughs> so then you're almost suggesting that there's this natural couple pairing mismatch that happens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And maybe we should have another, but that's another conversation altogether about how I'm, I, you know, monogamy is not necessarily what we're meant to do. Well, from an evolutionary standpoint, from a male standpoint, it is definitely not. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. If the goal of my existence is to pass on my genes, I can populate the world hundreds of times over in like a fucking month. Right. <laughs> I'm with one woman. I'm, I'm locked up for nine months. Yeah. You know, you know, you know how much 
fucking seeds I could throw around in nine months. <laughs> and if we're talking about the survival of my genes, then that might be the best exactly. thing. But you can also argue it the other way where couple pairing and then rearing of the young is actually maybe the better way to ensure the survival of your genes. Right. So it's the idea of quantity, mass numbers, mass amounts of your genes all over the place. And then almost like the, the ability for them to survive has yeah. gone down because the couple pairing isn't there versus having less of your genes all over the place. But then, yeah. However, I'm going to challenge uh, that idea that couple pairing has to be with two people. A community can raise a child. Oh, definitely. True. Yeah. Right. There could be more than just two pe- parents in in a situation. And with so many parents, you know, people getting divorced. There's like people are being raised by tribes, right? So, yeah. I, you know, it's I don't think thing. that necess- I don't think it necessarily has to be like two people that do it. Yeah. True. And you know, we've only really talked about like straight couples as well. Like, yes. Like, what, let's talk about like, do you notice differences with uh, with gay couples that you work with? You know, if you've got two women or if you've got two men like do you notice any differences in the issues that might arise sexually since it's not this you know like mark said this mismatch where first you know there's hypersexuality from the male and then that fades then there's hypersexuality from the female like is it different when you've got two men or two women yes it is there's different issues that come up so um lesbian couples um have a very specific thing around sexuality that happens um, that they stop, they end up in a sexless relationship quite quickly in the beginning of their relationship. Um, there's so much work around the deep emotional connection that the the pure sexual lust part gets dropped quite quickly. Interesting. And a big part of that is because of our societal stuff around women, right? That we've been programmed to not be lustful creatures and lustful beings. And so there's, we have, and then we have trauma and there's all these other things. And so it becomes more comfortable quite easily for, for two women to be just like sex not being a priority. And then next thing you know, they end up in sexless relationships. And they essentially become roommates. Yeah. 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 Um, for gay men, it's a different story altogether. <laughs> there's a lot of sex. Um, but there's, you know, the struggles often are more around intimacy, connection, communication, these kinds of pieces mm. are, are the are the differences there. So some of the stereotypes are really true. Like women are more like intimate and, you know, open. And I mean, again, generalizing, it's not to say that there's no men who can be, you know, completely open and sharing intimately with their partner. But it seems like the stereotypes might might be kind of true that women are a little more emotional and men are a little more sexual. So you put two men together, the sex is all right, but the intimacy is lacking. You put two women together, the, you know, the intimacy and the friendship is there, but the sex is lacking. I I, I probably shouldn't say this, but in my earlier days of like just throwing my tongue around and just saying whatever I want to say, I always used to say that about like dudes to me are just horny fuckers, right? So when you put two dudes together that are horny fuckers, like if I, if I was a gay guy, you can probably get laid, like just fucking walking home from the grocery grocery store in Boys Town <laughs> because I'm a horny fucker I'm a dude and then other males are horny fuckers we're dudes like we're just doing it like uh, uh, that's old me and I realize maybe I can't say stuff like that but is that actually fucking true like I'm curious well by the sounds of what guy is saying there's a, there's some truth to there's, that there's exactly and again there's a, we don't you know there's oh this is an over generalization oh, for sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. right completely but yes but that's because there's been an uh an acceptable it, it's acceptable on a societal level even the belief system that guys are horny all the time, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. you're just like horn dogs, right? We we kind of move from this societal belief that that's reality. And because of that, it gives 
males permission to drop more into their lust and their desires with ease because that's what society says it's okay for you to do because that's what you've been taught is okay. Boys will be boys. Are you looking for a change in the way society views stuff or are you just looking looking to help people (laughs) cope with themselves and become their true authentic self like which is more which is which is higher on the hit list for you let's change the the ideals of the world or let's let's get you comfortable in your skin i would say let's change the ideals of the world so that it's easier for people to get comfortable in their skin yeah you know what's one thing that's always bothered me and lately it's really really bothering me (laughs) just kidding (laughs) (laughs) well you no i'm kidding um (laughs) as we were talking about you know, gay men versus lesbian couples. And I, what's something that's always really bothered me is this idea that just because, yes, men are probably a little more sexually liberated, that that's all they think about all the time. So like, for example, I know that gay men have to deal with this stereotype of being like, hypersexual yeah, what i just almost, said i used but, to think but i mean almost to the point of like so for example i saw recently that uh, there's on tv they're trying to be more inclusive and even in children's shows now they're showing you know gay parents raising children yeah and i yeah. saw that there was a like an uproar from parents like why do we need to talk about sex i'm like why is this about sex like nobody yeah. said anything about sex. This is why can't, you know, this this child who has two mothers or this child who has two fathers, why don't they see any representations of their family on TV? It's nothing to do with sex. Like no. if we can watch a straight family raise children and not have to look at them and, you know, what they're doing behind their closed doors, then what's the difference if it's, you know, a gay couple? But I think it's this again, it's the society's twisted view that gay men, all they ever do is have sex. Like they have no relationship. It's just, it's all about sex. Even if you just look at earlier TV outlets or earlier types of movies where being gay on screen wasn't always the thing. And I think in those scenarios, then the gay character, their life is all about being gay. It's not even just like I'm a person living in the world and and I'm and I'm gay. It's no, I'm a gay person living in the world and everything I do is about being gay. Right. And again, it's that it's the stupid society stereotypes about it. Right. So like when you look at earlier TV shows with gay characters, I feel like that's what it is versus what you might see now. Right. Yeah. And I think at the at the the end of the day, your sexual orientation is just who you're attracted to. Exactly. And who, who you want to roll around naked with. That's it. It doesn't it doesn't need to identify as who you who you are as a human being. It's just part of, you know, who you're attracted to. Those are two different things. Completely. And when we and when we drop into looking at it from that perspective, it doesn't really matter if, you know, uh to to women, to men, uh, to men and a woman are raising a child, you know, because we've, you know, there's so many possibilities of ways in which love can be expressed right? and, and parenting can happen. And when we change up how we look from this basically heteronormative monogamous mindset from a cultural standpoint, and we open up all those possibilities, it, it changes everything. We no longer are like, we don't, you know, when you see a, a you know, a guy and a girl together, the first thing that you pops in your head is like, I wonder how they fuck. That's not the first thing that you think about. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I actually do. Okay. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of the time. A lot of the time, I, I look at this couple, I'm like, how do they do it? How do they like it? Or I look at this couple and I'm thinking, like, physically, how do you do it sometimes? Because there's like a physical mismatch there sometimes. I'm like, how does this work? Does this dude have to like lie down on a decline bench? And, you know, oh, I don't know what the case is. But, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
<laughs> but I did have a question about, okay, in, in your practice, how much have you seen religion become a barrier? Is that, is She's that, laughing already. Yeah. I can't wait. Does that end up being a large barrier for a, a larger population of the people you work with? That's a barrier for everybody. Like when you break stuff down, none of us have escaped without religious dogma affecting our beliefs around pleasure, sexuality, um, orgasm, love, parent, like all of it. It's a, it affects us and it is integrated on so many levels through so many generations that we don't even know why we think the way that we think, why we believe what we believe. It is the foundation of what is affected society as a whole. For parents, what do you, do you ever counsel parents on how to deal with their children? Like, I know there's a lot of debate about that. You know, what should be taught in schools? What, when should the parents start talking? I've seen questions online in parenting groups that I'm in, you know, when is too young to start talking to my kids about sex? And, you know, what kinds of advice do you give to parents surrounding that? Still waiting to get that talk from my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually, you know, we talked about we talked earlier, you know, when you my were... Mom, my mother and my father, we've never had a discussion No, we this. never did either. And this is the thing is that what I can remember from being a child and this is... I'm happy know, I, for I, it though, by the way. Well, and that's... But that's because of the types of homes we were raised in where it wasn't something that you talked about. But for me, it wasn't something that we talked about, but it also wasn't... It wasn't viewed as a negative either. Mark's out there banging girls and okay, and now he's got a girlfriend and he's banging his girlfriend and that one's gone and the next one's here and that one's gone. And like That was okay, right? We just don't talk about it but it but it was never a negative thing well in my house it wasn't even just it was it it was it was was don't leave your condom wrappers in the basement mark (laughs) at least fucking throw them away right and this collection of bras you have in the bedroom here like get rid of them except he didn't and then his wife found them a couple (laughs) years ago um but yeah in my house it wasn't even just don't talk about it it was like there was palpable tension and like discomfort around it as i said if we were watching a movie together as a family and there was Mm. like an overly sexual scene i would leave when i was approaching the age of puberty i very distinctly remember because my my mom and i used to walk to the library that was by us like probably once a week and you know she'd go do her thing i'd go do my thing and so we did that as normal. I was probably nine or 10, I guess. And we walked to the library. I picked out some books I was going to check out. She got hers. And when we got home, she literally came up to my bedroom, threw a book on the bed. I remember what the cover looked like. It was a blue book. And she said, here, I think you should read this. And it was a whole book about, you know, what's going to be happening to my body during puberty and changes and menstrual cycles. And like, that is basically the discussion I had with my mother surrounding my body. So it's like very obvious that this isn't something we talk about. When Mm. I went away to university, I think, was the first time that I think she even said the word sex to me. Um, we were, we were going somewhere together and, sh- uh, we were going to the pharmacy and I was refilling a prescription for birth control, which I had actually been on since I was like 15 at this point because the doctor recommended it for, you know, regularity in my acne and all the bullshit that they recommend birth control for, which, you know, mm-hmm. when you're young, you think it's normal and you just go with it. So mm-hmm. we were going to refill my birth control and she said something to me along the lines of, you know, I hope you're taking this regularly and being careful because I I had a I had a boyfriend in university. So that was kind of like I acknowledge that you're having sex, don't get pregnant. Like that mm-hmm. those were the conversations I had with my mother surrounding sex. And 
That's not that's not an uncommon story. I've heard that story a hundred times. Right. What conversation do you wish you had with your mother? You're making it sound like you wish you had something different. I'm not even necessarily saying I wish I had something different, but I feel I want to do things differently for our kids. Like I don't want them to feel like they can't talk to me about anything surrounding sex. I don't want them to feel uncomfortable about it. I don't want them to feel shame around it. And I think part of that is them like me being more open with them. So again, going back to my original question, which was when you're dealing with parents, what sorts of generalized advice do you have for, you know, when is too young to start talking to your kids about sex? How, you know, how do you approach that with your kids? So the first thing is to deal with when they find their genitals. That's the first phase of the conversation, right? right. When they've, when they found their genitals and they're touching them all the time, right? Cause they found pleasure and children mm-hmm. have no shame, right? Nope, so not at all. They're, right. So they're, so you're in the grocery store and, 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 you know, their hands are down their pants and and how you handle that makes a huge difference on who they're going to become later in life. Mm-hmm. So being like, hey, Bob, whatever the kid's name is, <laughs> be like, I respect that you found some pleasure there. That's great. Um, you know, however, it makes other people in the grocery store uncomfortable. Can you please wait home, wait until we get home and do it in the privacy of your own bedroom? It's about this whole teaching them that there's some societal boundaries without shaming. There's societal boundaries around what other people are comfortable or not comfortable with. Not that it's bad or good or wrong, but there's other things around society is the big piece of it. How you react of like whether you freak out or don't freak out has a lot to do with whether or not the child internalizes this is good or this is bad. Right. So it's not about like, oh, stop that. No, like can't do that. Yeah. 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 We don't do that. How do you feel about, I have a friend and I'm not saying anything negative about her, but how do you feel about parents calling um you know, when talking to their children about their genitals, how do you feel about them calling them their private parts? It's weird to me. Yeah. Like, I think that why is the word vagina or testicles or penis any different than your knee, your exactly. toes, well, exactly. or your nose? Yeah. And so what that does is it instills on a subtle to an overt level that that's not something we talk about. We mm-hmm. can't talk about that part. And if right. we can't talk about that part, that means there's something wrong with that part. Even if nothing has overtly been said, any of those things, that's what internally is said. Why can I not call it my the actual clinical term? I could talk about my nose. Why can't I talk about... My penis. Yeah, that's what yeah, we do. With I agree. Yeah, I mean, our our kids, even very little, you know, when they're in the bath and we're washing them, it's, you know, we're going to wash your shoulder, we're going to wash your chest, we're going to wash your tummy. And they will both say, like, going to wash my vagina. <laughs> like, they, yeah. they yeah. use proper mm-hmm. terminology because, again, I don't want them to think there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that part of your body, like you said. Exactly. So, but at the same time, you also want the messaging to get across that that is an area that is yours and not, you know, for other people, because it's, it's a weird world we live in where Mm -hmm. sexual abuse seems to be something, you know, we started this conversation today talking about trauma and abuse. So, you know, also having your children know that, like, it's not the same as your knee in the sense that anyone can touch it. But the thing is, is that we all know, internally, we all know what good touch and bad touch feels like. Like, that's an instinct sort of, um, internal thing that we all know. And I think the key is, is that you teaching your kids that if you ever feel icky when someone touches you, you can say no. And if somebody ever touches you and you feel icky, please come talk to us. Mm -hmm. And that's the language. That's all. That's as much graphic as you have to get into. 
Right. feeling icky. And then if they come to you and say, yeah, I feel icky when blah, 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 then you can do some deeper investigation of what we're talking about. But I don't think that you need to go into graphics like, and because you don't want to also create this like, okay, you have to protect this at all costs and the world is really unsafe and don't right. ever let anybody touch you there. Well, and, right. You don't want to like, scare the shit out of your toddlers you exactly. and preschoolers. So, yeah. you know, there's a, I, there has to be a way for them to understand, but not you know, not be fearful or not be, I never really thought about the fact that it's innate understanding what good touch and bad touch is. Yeah. We all, we all have this, like, this is okay, or this isn't okay. And we'll have that icky feeling. And that icky feeling gets broken if they're not allowed, you know, if, if interference happens over and over and over again, and there's no protection and they, you know, it's not a safe environment that will, that will break within somebody. But if you're in an environment where it's a safe environment to be in and something, even just like that, even full on touch can be, you know, kids will pick up that there's somebody's predatory, right? Like this is a predatory moment and I don't feel good about this. And if we allow our kids to and honor that feeling and come talk to us about that feeling and we honor them, then they will have that built-in defense mechanism, basically, of keeping themselves safe, knowing intuitively when it's safe and when it's not safe. Fuck, we just don't give kids enough credit. I mean, when I'm not saying we, like me and you, yeah. I'm saying like society in general just doesn't give kids enough credit. They are really fucking smart and they know what is okay and what's not okay. And I mean, my kids amaze me all the time with some of the things they say. I'm like, where did you even learn that? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> kids are incredible. They know way more than we give them credit for. And they're always listening. So... Yes. If you think your kids don't know anything about sex, unless you have never spoken about anything in your home ever, they know more than you think they do. Oh, yes. Yes. And I think that the key is that the whole age appropriate is, like I said, you start with your own making it safe for them to explore their own body and that pleasure is okay. And then you build that dialogue and that safety with them. And then they come, they'll come to you with questions. They'll come to you with with things because there's no guilt. It's about really dealing with your own shit and your own shame and your own judgment and not freaking out. The more you do that, then the kids will naturally come to you because they, they, they have a trust, they have a trust and they, they have questions and they, they want those questions answered. And as long as they, you don't make it feel weird, they won't really think it's weird. I hope all the parents are taking notes right now. I mean, that's all that most parents want, right? Is their kids to feel comfortable enough to talk to them. And, you know, it's, as you said, it's all in how you react when they do come to you. So if you're freaking out or if you're uncomfortable with the topic, yeah, they're going to pick up on that. And those conversations might not happen anymore. So, you know, be prepared when your eight-year-old asks you where babies come from or something, be prepared with something that you're going to say to them. And I think it's also okay to admit to your kids to be like, you know, Grandma and grandpa never had this conversation with me. So I'm a little uncomfortable at the moment. Like own it. Like I'm a little uncomfortable at the moment, but you know, give me a moment and I'll go do some research and then we can come back and have this conversation, right? Like it's okay to admit to your kids that, Hey, I don't know. I don't know the appropriate response right now, but I'm going to go figure it out. I think that's one of the best things you can do with your kids too, is because they need to know that humans in general, like grownups don't know everything. Grownups make mistakes. There are things that we don't know the answers to. Um, My oldest daughter is um, 
somewhat of a perfectionist. And, you know, it's natural because Mark is a perfectionist. I am somewhat of a perfectionist. And I know that I tortured myself as a child. You know, like if the teacher asked a question and I maybe knew the answer, but I wasn't 100% certain, I wouldn't raise my hand for fear of getting it wrong. Like that was mm-hmm. that was me. So I'm seeing a little bit of that in her. So I've been trying to show her that like it's okay to make mistakes and that's how you learn. And I make mistakes all the time. So we've sort of have this habit now where we, uh, I point out when I just make stupid fucking mistakes at home, you know, like I'm, I'm cooking and I turn on the wrong burner and I'm like, look at this, look what mommy did. I'm so, what a silly, what a silly thing to do. You know, just giving her this, this confidence that like, I don't know everything and I don't do everything perfectly and I make mistakes all the time. So absolutely. I think if your kids come to you with a question and either you're not ready to answer it or you don't know how you're going to answer it, just saying, you know, i I'm not 100% sure, but I will get back to you and actually get back to them. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I think it's important to admit like that human experience of like, yeah, I'm kind of uncomfortable right now. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) I might feel a little awkward at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any questions about sex for Gaia, Mark? (laughs) What have you always wanted to know? (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do have a question, though. Yes, I want to hear okay. it. My question is: If I'm down at Hanlon's Points, and if you're not familiar where Hanlon's Point is, it's a clothing yeah, optional it's beach. Optional place, yes. Yes, right? I'm a nudist. I'm yeah. familiar with how, all the places. To I'm going to ask you a question then, as I stare <laughs> as I stare at your Facebook. How do I not sunburn my private bits? <laughs> Well, you should listen to my podcast wow. that I did. This I've got morning. it on the screen All right now. Yeah. <laughs> so give me a little, give me a little peek on how do I not, how do I not sunburn my private bits? And do we have to call it bits? Because bits make it sound so tiny. <laughs> <laughs> but all size is beautiful. All sizes are beautiful. Oh, that's his ego getting in the way there. <laughs> and if we're going to call him bits, can we like put like, like tons of S's on the end? Like bits. How about we call this it junk? <laughs> yeah. You're junk. Yeah. You're junk. So how do you not that more manly? Is that is like you big, big junk? <laughs> <laughs> It's important to pick the right sunscreen. That's the most important piece. And the biggest part that the problem is, is it's not so much your junk, the front junk, it's your back junk mm. that gets uh, the problem. Is the the little line, um, everybody forgets to put sunscreen on that, you know, where your bum cheeks meet. And so basically everybody would be like all tanned and then they have this like, you know, red uh, sunburn. Oh, so people are all burning their cracks. I had burning no the idea. Gluteal fold. Oh. <laughs> Is there anything else before we give out contact information, anything else you'd want to share with our listeners, you know, about you, about what you do, uh, you know, any takeaway messages for people about sexual wellness in general? Um, I would say that the most important, I mean, we really didn't talk much about the pleasure aspect of life. Oh, well then let's and, do that. And that is really we, like, we the, don't have to the, go. I'm, I'm not in a okay. rush. Let's talk about <laughs> that. Let's yeah, do this. Know? Yeah. Um, is the pleasure of life. And that's the foundation. So pleasure is broken up into like three different types of pleasure. There is sensory pleasure, emotional pleasure, and orgasmic pleasure. I'm with you. All right. So sensory pleasure is all of our five senses. And, you know, when we drink our coffee first thing in the morning and the smells and the warmth on our hands, that's that sensory pleasure moment that we mm-hmm, have. Mm-hmm. And that is the foundation of joy. The more we have those moments, sensory pleasure moments throughout our day, the more happiness, the more joy is possible for us. Then we move into orga- our um, 
emotional pleasure, which is like our thoughts and our feelings around like being super excited about things and, you know, really happy to see somebody. And it's like almost like your heart is ejaculating with love and happiness. (laughs) (laughs) Your heart is ejaculating. I love watching Mark's reactions when you say things like that. I I wish that you were actually here in person so you could see his face. <laughs> I'm like missing so many good things here on this phone call. I know, I know. Um, Two words I wouldn't have put together. <laughs> I can't believe I went this whole podcast without saying the word ejaculation. I mean, wow, that, that might be a record for me. <laughs> so that's the emotional pe- of pleasure, right? Which so... Combined with emotional pleasure and sensory pleasure is where we start to get into orgasmic pleasure. And that's just where the sensory data that's coming in and the emotional data that's coming in keeps building and building and building until we have no other choice than our bodies to have an orgasmic release. And that orgasmic release can be in like a wiggle, a giggle, a whole body sense, sensory experience. It could be gener- just stuck in, you know, focused on your genitals. Like there's so many different ways that our bodies can have an orgasmic pleasure release because of the combined sensory and emotional pleasure. So many aspects of pleasure. Yeah, because I've had this discussion with other people before when I said, I can ejaculate, but not orgasm. They're like, what are you talking about? How is that possible? The the two are together. I'm like, no, they're not, at least for Mm -hmm. me. I can spew a load all over the place and not orgasm at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's, you know, when we drop into like Tantra and like ejaculation mastery stuff, that's what is the key ingredient is that there's orgasm. And then there's ejaculation. They're two separate things. Mm -hmm. They happen often for people simultaneously. So they assume it's the same thing. But, you know, it's a game changer when you can learn to differentiate those things. I'm actually jealous sometimes when I've heard people like, yeah, no, it's the same for me. I'm like, really? Every fucking time it's the same for you. Like, you know, you (laughs) orgasm every time you ejaculate. They're like, yeah. I'm like, Or maybe they think they do. No, I'm like actually serious. Like, aren't there people, I'm sure Gaia can speak to this. Aren't there people who like... Don't actually, no, I guess if you've never think. experienced an orgasm, like a real orgasm, isn't it possible that you you think you've been having them, but you haven't been? Well, the thing is, is that orgasm, there's so many different layers and types of orgasms that exist. The possibilities are huge. There's mm-hmm. so many different kinds. And so when I talk about, when I talk about orgasm, I always like to talk about like an orgasmic release, which is basically a buildup of sensory data. Mm-hmm. And then your body just releases it. In whatever capacity it needs to release, it could be in a shudder, it could be in a in a, sh- a shiver, it could be in a scream, it could be any, it could be in a laughter, it can be any way. You know, your knees can have orgasms, your armpits can have orgasms. Like, there's so many different orgasmic possibilities, but the key foundation is to surrendering to allowing the pleasure to build and not trying to control it. Hmm. And if we go through life being coming a pleasure seeker, that's basically what I teach people is to become a pleasure seeker. It has all these beautiful byproducts because of course now you enjoy your life more because you're more present, you're more mindful, you're more aware um, when you're not in like actual, you know, having sexy time, right? So when you drop into time to have some sexy time, it's easier for you to be connected to building that pleasure because you've been lit, that pleasure has been building all day long in all different capacities in all different ways. That makes so much sense to me. Again, it just 
it's a lot of it's about mindset too, but it makes so much sense to me. As you were talking about the different types of pleasure, you talked about the sensory when you were using the example of the cup of coffee, because Mark's not a coffee drinker and I am, and I've explained this to him so many times. It's for me, it's not just the the coffee itself. I'm like, it's a whole, the whole experience. No, I get like it. I get it's it. the smell, the feeling of it's the- It's like, like when I used the, to crack a cigarette, I get right. it. Right. The, the, whole, the whole sensory experience for me of having that like hot cup of coffee in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. My kids actually now have come to know that like, when I sit down and like, I'm just going to have my coffee. Like, I mean, I don't want anyone to ask anything of me for like the next 20 minutes. Like, I just want to sit and actually enjoy this cup of coffee. It usually doesn't happen. Usually it's, I always tell Mark, like, I wish that we had a sitcom because it's like the minute I sit down with a hot cup of coffee, I'm hearing, can you come wipe my bum? I spilled my water. I'm thirsty. Can I have an apple? I'm like, Fuck, guys. Like, I just want this experience. But yes, that the sensory pleasure totally makes sense to me. The emotional pleasure, I again, it's it makes so much sense. And I, I was feeling it as you were saying it because I love getting excited about things. So I celebrate every single event imaginable. I make a big deal of everything. You know, a birthday's coming up and I want to make a big deal out of it because it's like, for me, the the excitement of having something to like look forward to and something to, I don't know, all of that is just, yeah, it just makes your, it makes your day just seem so much Not happier because there's something, there's something building. Not me. I'm so different in that regard. I don't want something to build. The more something build, the more I don't get excited about it. I like to be surprised. I like, I like it to be super spontaneous whatever's gonna happen whatever in my day mm-hmm. it happens to me all the fucking time whenever i plan something out the the closer i actually get to the the event the the plan whatever it was the destination i back away from it even up to the mm-hmm. point where i'm right here at this moment where i'm supposed to be doing this thing i'm like you know what all that build up just wrecked it for me i actually prefer just to have things happen very kind of organically spontaneously however you want to term it so many things <laughs> I was going to say, now tell, tell us like, what this my brain means. Like, I'm like, all right, there's so many things there, but that's not why I'm on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so pleasure. Pleasure is the key ingredient to having an orgasmic life. And an orgasmic life is about living life to its fullest, to its max and all possibilities. And that at the core of is what I do. Um, and that is how I live. That is really cool. That I mean, it's it sounds simple, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't even know where to start and don't know how to get themselves there. But I I agree with you. I feel like I seek out these things, these tiny little things that just are going to in some way make me feel good. Like I said, the cup of coffee in the morning, it seems like something so small and so trivial, but I feel like when I actually get to sit and enjoy that cup of coffee, my day is just better. Or, you know, when I go to pick up my kids, but I'm not in a rush and I I go to pick up my kids at my parents' house and I can just sit out in their backyard in the sun for a few minutes, like things like that, these small little things that are just, you know, whether it's sensory pleasure or emotional pleasure, it just makes... I don't know, it changes my mindset and makes my entire day better. It does. And then you're you're always building that muscle, right? The pleasure seeking muscle. So the more you seek out pleasure, the more your brain is seeking out new pleasure possibilities because you get this wonderful rush of, you know, dopamine and does that make it does that make it more difficult then to than to be 
pleasured. Like for example, I, I was I was listening to Chris Rock's one of his things on Netflix, and he was just really kind of candid and open. Like this is after he got divorced, and he was like, "I got divorced," and everyone's like, eh. and "He's like, no, no, no." I fucked up. I got divorced. And he was talking about his divorce. A big part of his divorce, he says, I was addicted to porn. Like, mm. so bad. It was insane. He's like, you don't understand what that does. He's like, it makes getting pleasure so much more difficult. Like, he's like, you don't understand. I needed the perfect fucking setup for porn to even get my dick hard a little bit. In other words, I needed to find, like, an Asian girl with an African-American girl's ass, and she had to speak Spanish. And we, it was a big joke about that. But he's like, that's the shit. Like, And he did such like, these weird extremes of all these collection of things. And he's like, I only got to that point because of porn. I needed, like, the perfect cock tail for anything to be even pleasurable yes and that's and that's a very big problem which is very different than what we're talking about of sensory pleasure seeking okay so that so, that doesn't so, take you down the path of like receiving or getting pleasure out of things becomes more difficult no it actually becomes easier oh, okay, to get okay, more it. pleasure out of stuff so like if you gotcha. like stop for a moment to feel the sunshine on your skin and then you know your lover comes up behind you and like licks your back your whole Whole body is like, oh, I'm going to come because it's appropriate in this moment <laughs> to do so. Because your body and your mind is in that space. When we're when we're inundated with overstimulation, which is what porn can be, mm -hmm. um, it's overstimulation that you can never reach. It's almost like you keep at upping the ante, and because you keep upping the ante, you have to go further and higher and further and higher until nothing works anymore. And really the solution to that is actually coming back to what I, we were talking about is that dropping into the moments of sensory pleasure and dropping back into the little things in life that can give you pleasure. Hmm. I like that we ended with the, like that we waited till the end to talk about the pleasure stuff. Cause I think that is useful tools for people who are struggling in any area, but I mean, especially yeah. in, in their sexuality is just understanding that you can't get to that point, as you said, of orgasmic pleasure. You can't necessarily have a really awesome sex life if you don't even understand how to obtain this sensory pleasure or emotional emotional pleasure from your everyday life like it's not just about sex pleasure isn't just about sex it's just your everything every it's everything yeah. coming from your five senses like i i like yeah. that we're ending with that because it's usable for anybody listening and who you know maybe just needs a little bit of help and that's the best way to start um i'm going to give a little exercise actually so if you want to start that practice pleasure seeking practice um, you set four, about four alarms a day and you pick one of your senses and this is like to heighten your sense, sense, sensory awareness. So you pick smell, for example, and on that day, every time your alarm goes off, you take like five to 30 seconds to smell whatever's in your room, in your sphere in that moment, you know, taste, touch. So we got, let's list our five senses. We have touch, taste, smell sight and hearing. And so you pick one of those senses and you really drop into it. And by dropping into it and becoming more aware of it, it allows for more pleasure possibilities. So your brain will start to seek it out and you'll start to notice them more. So that's a great way to start that process. And I have alarms because every once in a while I've been, you know, I've been working too much or thinking too much and I've been, you know, go, 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 go. And I haven't, you know, been my like, yay, happy orgasmic girl because I've been in, you know, head too much of my head and not enough of my body. 
I'll revisit that practice and I'll set my reminder alarms and, you know, the alarms will go off and I will drop into my sensory awareness moments. I love it. We're going to start doing that. (laughs) He's looking at me kind of skeptically, but we will start doing that. We'll set some alarms. Nice. Pleasure. (laughs) Pleasure sensory alarms. Well, I think this is a good time. I just have one more more question. One more really quick. Okay. Because we're massage therapists and we're body workers, are there any signs and symptoms that manifest as physical issues that we can be aware of to kind of like spot it when these things are there? And to say that this might be something that you can help with. Does that make sense? Did I make sense? With yeah, that? yeah. you're basically trying to see, is there like trauma, sex-related stuff that's going on? Yeah, without, like uh, someone's on my notice. table yeah. and there may have been something going on. Are there signs and symptoms that would make me say, you know what, this is something that you should probably talk to someone about? Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine there's certain things like, how comfortable somebody leans into your your hand like when you're doing your massage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that would be a really good indicator of like there's some trauma going on that's stored that there's an uncomfortable piece to their bodies um how comfortable are they being naked on your table even with you being them being wrapped you know those would be good indicators too that there's some probably potential trauma going on there mm-hmm. um you know emotional releasing so like crying um from being certain parts of their body being touched um those would be like the key and like body awareness like i've had this happen to me before where someone gets on the table and they're holding their body very rigid but they're not aware that they're doing so that happens all the time right and that kind of disconnection from your mind and your body can can be one of those things to look at Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. So those would be some of the the pieces around that. Um, and then from just a pure uh, place of injuries, like you guys being uh, becoming more aware of what are injuries that are, be ca- are being caused by sex and sexual exploration and kink. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that often my massage therapist is like, all right, because I have a very open relationship with my massage therapist. So he's like, what did you do? And without trying to give me too many details, what position were you in? <laughs> so I understand why <laughs> your wrist is all fucked up and your neck's out and your hip is out. <laughs> yeah, that would be so hard for us. Like, is this a sex-related injury? Because we can't really, you know, we have to be careful of, you know, how we speak to our clients. <laughs> like, I guess in your case, your your massage therapist knows what you do and knows that it's okay. But, you yeah, know, even that yeah. piece of without giving me too many details, because, yes. yeah, those are things we can't really talk about with you. I've definitely had a... You can't? I'm just being devil's advocate. Like, why can't you? I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying, like, massage therapists in like, general why aren't you comfortable are going massage to, therapists? They're going to shy away from that again, like I said from the beginning, because we already have this sort of loose tie to the sex trade. And, you know, like we get calls all the time. I mean, I just got a call a couple of weeks ago. Do you give happy endings? So it's like, you've got to have this persona of I'm professional and I'm, you know, I'm going to keep all of your private areas covered, even down to the point where the college makes us get uh, special consent for sensitive areas. One of those sensitive areas being like the inner thigh or like, you know, the, the chest wall, I'm not touching anything inappropriate, but yet I still have to get your written consent to do so. Mm. So there's always this 
this undertone of like, we need to make sure that there's very rigid boundaries. So, you know, even we've talked about on other episodes when if a client starts even making sexual jokes or or talking about their sex life with their partner, we usually deter the conversation because it it seems inappropriate when they're naked on your table and you're the healthcare professional, right? We're not a sex therapist, we're a massage therapist. Mm So we kind of, you know, steer the conversation away. But I've definitely had a client where I I made the mistake of asking, what's that from? And um, I, I got an answer that I wasn't prepared for. There was what I thought was a bruise on the back of his neck. Okay. So I thought I thought it was a bruise. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, what did you do to your neck? Because it was like monstrous. Like, I think his wife attacked him. And uh, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, that's uh, from from my wife. He's like, we're, uh, we're dealing with fertility issues right now. And so we're not allowed to have sex. So she gave me that last night. And I was like, Oh, I didn't really want to have that conversation. But there it is. <laughs> and I'm going to push the envelope a little bit. You okay with that? Mm-hmm. I need your consent. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have my <laughs> I'm consent. About, I'm all about consent. So why would it not be okay that, you know, in the beginning of when you're building your relationship with your client, and you talk about, okay, is there any injuries? How are you, you know, if there's sleeping issues, is there stuff? Why could you not say, um, is there any sex-related in- injuries that I need to be aware of? Like, why couldn't it not just be in a list of, like, other things? Like, are you on any medication? Like, you're mm-hmm. on, you're asking all these questions. This is kind of what I was telling Amanda. You you can. Absolutely. Like, there's it can nothing be. There's, there's no standards. Can't. Yeah, there's nothing saying you can't do that. But that's, but that, just, that's kind of where I was going it, with that. And that's, I've seen the conversations on, you know, on Facebook and the RMT groups. And even, like, with our podcast, we've gotten com- uh, comments from people like, uh, we've had reviews and testimonials or, like, reviews, sorry, online that say, you know, there's too many sexual innuendos for people in this profession, you know, it's it's shameful or, you know, things like that about the way we speak because we are pretty open about it. But mm. it's it's the attitude of, you know, our industry, I think, because we don't want to be lumped in with anything sexualized. We don't want to be sexualized when we're at work. So we decide to go so extreme and be the polar opposite where we're yeah. almost like asexual creatures. Like, no, I, I I, don't even know what that means. I don't talk about that. Like we shut it down immediately. Yeah, but can we not, is it not a possibility of setting up parameters and some boundaries Absolutely. So that, yeah. and so that it doesn't, so it's not, it's not like it doesn't have to be like, all or nothing. It can be like, hey, these are some things and injuries and, and a safe exactly. environment for you to ask. And, you know, I'm your massage therapist. So like if you've injured yourself because you've done something crazy sexually, you know, you knowing what that position, like, you know, I know from my massage therapist, like him knowing that what position and why, why he asked me what mm-hmm. position I'm in so that he can fix it. Right. Exactly. And if if I had lied and said, oh, no, this happened when I was like walking in the dog, which did not happen, then he's going to try to fix something else because he doesn't. Right. That comes down to the therapist. That comes down to the whether that therapist is comfortable to do this or not or have that conversation. Right. Your massage therapist is. I am. Amanda is. But the vast majority of RMTs, I feel like you all are very fearful of the governing body and you're all scared. Someone's going to sweep into your practice and take your license away and take away your ability to That's make a living. That's probably it. It's, it's probably the fear. It. It's the fear there's, there's of the governing fear. body. M- massage therapists, I was looking at a Facebook group and this is about COVID. Massage therapists are scared to go back to work. There's a, there's a bunch of people talking because they feel like the guidelines for them to go back to work and the pre-screening doesn't actually allow them to work. In other words, if someone has an unexplained headache or unexplained muscle aches and they're like, well, these are reasons why people see us for muscle, muscle aches and headaches and they're scared. They're like, well, I feel like I'm being set up here 
here and I read, oh, the college, I'm scared the college is going to take my license when I'm, so there's always this fear, this fear, this fear of mm. I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, when reality is you're a fucking healthcare professional, you can do whatever you want. Well, and again, we work in the realm of holistic healthcare. Health you know, and wellness, sexuality exactly, is part we're of supposed that. to be, we're supposed to be making, as Gaia says, we're supposed to be making it a safe space and our clients should be able to talk to us about anything and tell us what's going on and when it comes to bodies like one thing that massage mm. therapists are famous for saying is is a body's a body's a body you know we're there to to work with your body so part of that is is the sexual part and, and even, we shouldn't be we even, shouldn't be so afraid even just the body the body the body you take a look at that whole biopsychosocial model well you have to have that component into it yeah it's part mm-hmm. of your fucking human existence mm-hmm. what do i know i got a podcast yeah. no <laughs> yeah <laughs> Can you can you let people listening know how they can find you? If anybody does want to get in contact with you after listening to this, what's the best contact information you have? Best way to reach me is at succulentliving.com um, for all of your sexual wellness needs and education. And then you can follow me on social media on all the platforms under Gaia Morissette. And don't forget to check out my Orgasmic Life podcast. As well as I'm also a host of another podcast called Tickle.Life where I interview sex experts um, and therapists about their own personal sex lives. So if you're a voyeur, it's a really good show. (laughs) Very cool. Thank you so much. This was very interesting. I think there's a lot of good information here. There's definitely going to be some people who are uncomfortable and don't want to listen to us talk about sexual wellness, but um, they're probably the people that need to listen to this the most. So I hope they do. Yeah. I feel like we just lost listeners on that, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Very okay with that. Well, anyway, guys, thank you so much. This was great. Right on. Thanks for having me. You guys were great. Right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.